Bueno, a few weeks ago we started this series that we called the ABCs and Ds of the family. Uh, we talked about the family of Joseph on the first message. And we found that the family of Joseph was not a perfect family. That Joseph was not perfect. That his brothers were not perfect. And uh, last time that we met, we talked about that the A stood for... I'm going to have to preach it again. Yep. Let's see who remembers. Affirmation, yeah. Affirmation, affirmation, affirmation. So, today's message, we're going to talk about the letter B. And that is balance. A few years back, I heard the story of these two hunters who went to uh, the field looking for some game. And as they got to the place early in the morning, the weather was kind of cold, the clouds were low, and visibility was very, very short. So the game warden told them, guys, it is difficult to be out there. If you get lost, if you happen to get lost and, lo and lose your way, just shoot three times and that will be my, my signal to go and get you. The hunter said, okay, we'll keep that in mind. And they began their journey of hunting. As they got it deeper in the field, after a few minutes, they realized that they didn't know where they were going anymore. So one told the other, you know what, I think it's time that we shoot three times. So the first one shot three times, and they waited a few minutes. They waited some more minutes, and it became 30 minutes, and then an hour, and nothing happened. So one told the other again, you know what, maybe we should shoot again. So they shot three times. Half an hour passed, 45 minutes passed, an hour passed, and the game warden was not coming to get them. Finally, they said to one another, you know, you shoot, shoot again. But the other responded, I can't. Why not? I run out of arrows. You guys are slow this morning. Oh, my goodness. That is how parenting goes. Wouldn't it be great... If one day when a, when a baby is born, it, come, it would come with a manual. But see, kids don't, they don't come with manuals when they're born. In fact, I, I just saw this week a commercial on TV where this new, new couple, they're coming out of the hospital. Uh, and the father is wheeling on a, uh, the, the wife on a wheelchair out of the hospital. And they said, okay, we're leaving now. They, they tell the, the, the nursing staff. And they just say, okay, bye. And then as they're going to the door, the father says, okay, we're leaving now. And then she says, you know, isn't he bundled a little too tight? And he says, I don't know. Let's go back and check. Parenting is a scary affair. It's not a scary affair. We don't know how to do things. In fact, in fact, this is the moment when a baby is born when parents become so helpful Grandparents. Because the rest of the way, grandparents are designed to spoil the grandchildren. But at that moment, they, 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 they want to show the new mother how to bathe 
the, the child and how to change them and how to feed them and, and tips from, from one culture and tips from another. And, and all kinds of ideas come into the parenting because it is so hard to be, to be parents. That's why today I want to give you three arrows. See, the Bible tells us that... Uh, Children are like an arrow that hits the target. But those of us who've been parents for a while, we know that hitting the target is not that easy. There needs to be balance. If you, I don't know if you ever shot an arrow before, but arrows need to be perfectly balanced in order to hit the target. If the arrow is not well balanced, it's going to deviate from the target and the distance. But when it's well balanced, the arrow is going to hit the target. So the balance that we need to learn this morning, the first kind of balance that we need to learn, is the balance between roots and responsibility. Roots and responsibility. Let me explain this to you. Roots has the idea... Of the place where the family grows. In other words, that is marriage. Roots, a healthy set of rules means that it's going to be a healthy marriage. Proverbs 5.18, if you take your notes out or if you're following with, with your Bible, the notes are in the bulletin there that you received this morning. It says, it says in Proverbs 5.18, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Now, youth here does not refer to the time when you got married. It doesn't refer to the age of your wife. It makes a reference of the length. It's a reference to the length of the marriage. It's written from a perspective of somebody who is sitting on a chair and is looking back. So, marriage, according to the Bible, the roots of a marriage are reflected on the time that the marriage has lasted. So we have to speak about the stages of marriage. Every, every relationship goes through different stages. The first stage is the stage of connection. This is a stage where you don't have to really talk about things. You don't have to really share a lot of words because you know you're in the same, in the same plane. You understand each other with nonverbal communication. You just look at each other and you know. In fact, this is a time, this is a time when you, when the husband is still comes out of the car and goes around to open the door on the other side. I don't know why you're laughing. I don't know why that's funny. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I remember that. Uh, this is a time, this is a time when you walk and you hold hands. This is a time when, when, when there is an issue and you talk about it. This is a time when there's no obstacles. When, 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 the, when the eyes 
don't go like this. But they go like this. This is the stage of connection. The next stage is the stage of conflict. This is when the eyes begin to roll in the wrong way. This is when the husband tells the wife, well, you know where the door is. This is where the nonverbal communication. By the way, you know what sarcasm means? See, in Greek, the word for flesh is sarks. Sarcasm is to tear the flesh. And you've seen, I know you know what I'm talking about because you've seen the movies where, when Jesus is being crucified and, and before he goes on the cross, he's whipped. And you've seen the movies when the whip goes around the body and as, he's, as it is pulled back, pieces of flesh come out of the back. That's what it means. Sarcasm is tearing the flesh. So now you know what happens when you use sarcasm in your relationship. The, th the third stage is callousness. Callousness. Well, now you're used to, you are so used to the pain, so used to the, of the, of the sarcastic comments that they don't face you anymore. In fact, you're thinking of a comeback. This is a time that we don't even go in the same car anymore. And this is a time when you really don't communicate. You are just roommates. It's funny because, see, they say that, that relationships in marriage go in different stages. The first stage being the first year. It's interesting how during the first year of our relationship is when the greatest number of divorces occur. The first year. But if you happen to survive that first year, the next step is the seventh year. And, and, and experts say that is the next step at seven years because now the dynamics have changed. Now there's children and, and all things happen now because wife becomes mother and husband becomes father. So now if there was poor communication between the two when they were alone, now that their time in communicating is divided, the relationship gets more complicated. But the third is most interesting because it's the 20th year. And you could ask, well, why people who've been married for 20 years or more get divorced? Well, let me tell you why. Because they were for a very long time in the callous stage. And you've, hear, you've heard this before when people say, well, we're just together because of the kids. So now when the kids leave the household, you find two people with nothing in common. And they look at each other and they ask the question, who are you? So what they think is the best way to go is to get divorced. This is callous, the callous stage. Now, but let me tell you the good news. This, these stages, these stages are interchangeable. When you move from one to the other, it does not mean that you will stay there. It just means that it's time to go back to the first one. Regardless of what stage you are in your relationship right now, there is hope to go back to the other. A 
I read a story of a, of, a, of a man who was driving his brand new Porsche on the highway. And as he was going on the highway, he realized that it was really easy to speed with his new car. So he was going on the highway and he reached 70 and 80 and 90 and he began to feel really, really good in his new sports vehicle. Finally, he realized that he's going 120, but now I, when he looks at, at the speedometer at 120, he realizes that he's not alone on the highway. Behind him, there is a police car. So finally, as he sees the, the, the color lights behind him, he stops and the officer approaches the vehicle and asks, the question, license and registration. The car was in order, everything was fine. So now the police officer looks at this guy. He says, you know what, you, you, you know how fast you were going? And he says, yeah, I was going 120, you know, it's a brand new car. I just was feeling how nice it runs and the speed was just so attractive. I and mean, I just kept going because it felt so good. And he said, you know what, I like you. It's been a long day. I'm really tired. I really don't want to do more paperwork. So let's do this. If you give me an excuse that I've never heard before, I'll let you go. So the man thought for a second. And he said, you know what? The reason why I was speeding was because when I saw the lights of the police car, my wife left me for a police officer three weeks ago. And when I saw the lights, I thought you were coming to bring her back. <laughs> the officer said, you know what? Here are your papers. Have a good day. <laughs> now, that, that would be an example of the callous stage. But let me tell you the truth, family. Let me tell you the truth. There are no perfect marriages. There are no perfect marriages. Every time that couples come to talk to me for premarital counseling, I tell them this. You see, in math, two negatives make a positive. But in, in reality, with people, two imperfect people cannot make a perfect relationship. In fact, it just gets worse. It gets worse. But there are successful marriages. The, the reason why, and the only reason why there are su successful marriages is not because they never had problems. It's not because they never faced a conflict stage. No, no, no. They did. They did. The difference between a su successful relationship and those who are not successful is because when the conflict came, they decided to communicate, talk it out, fight it through. And went back to the connection stage. That's, that is what makes a successful marriage. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now, you hear many times love, right? But that's not what I want to focus on. I want to focus on perfected. And let me tell you why, before you get scared. The word for perfected here is the word teleia, teleia in Greek. 
And teleia sounds very familiar to something that you spend a lot of times looking at. Television. In Greek, tele, tele is the word for distance. Television. The signal comes from afar. You see it. Telecommunications. Communicating from a distance. Teleia here, perfected, means that it's a process that begins today. We're not going to be there right now, but tomorrow we'll be a little closer. And the day after we're going to be a little closer. It, it, it is a long process. It is a vision of the future. Maybe your marriage today is not what it ought to be, but if you make the decision today, today you take the first step and you'll get a little closer. In fact, Jesus says, Jesus says this, family, that he who began the work in us will complete it when? When? On the day of his coming. That is teleia. That is teleia. We are not who we ought to be, but when we'll see him, we will be like he is. Is it now? Is it right now? No, it's teleia. Are you breathing this morning? So when your family is not changing automatically, when your family is not being fixed right away, well, it's not going to happen because it's a teleia. It's a process that will com be completed when Jesus returns, when that is your focus. Now, roots, we say, is where the family grows. Remember that? Because I'm going to ask you next week, you know, and... and I don't want to look bad again in front of the visitors. The second word that we learn is the balance between root and responsibility. Root is where the family grows. Responsibility is how it grows. There's a tree in Asia. Maybe you, some of you are familiar with this tree. This tree is a upas tree. Anybody heard of it? This tree, maybe it has another name, but this tree has a characteristic. His branches secrete a sort of a liquid that falls off the branches and kills off anything that is right under. So this tree is surrounded just by dirt. There's nothing underneath it because the liquid that is secreted constantly kills everything on its shadow. Some parents are just like the upas tree. We protect our children so much, we have them so much under our wings, that we never allow them to spread theirs. Not that you're silent. Let me tell you a couple of things. Doing what children can't 
do is good parenting. Doing for the children what they can do is irresponsible. And let me tell you why. There's going to be a time when mom and dad are not going to be around. That's a fact of life. There's going to be a time when mom and dad are going to be around and that child is forced, will be forced to make his or her own decisions. Our job as parents, our primary job as parents is to teach our children how to make decisions. When we make all the decisions for them, we are crippling our children because there's going to be a time when they're going to be left alone, when they're going to be on their own with friends with, with outside in the world, and they will not be equipped to make good choices because mom and dad always made the decisions for them. I, I won't tell you her name, but my wife. Uh, there are times, there are times, and see, I totally understand because, see, Paola and myself, we grew up in different cultures. We grew up in, uh, in completely different family dynamics. She has a sister. I don't. She grew up in a way that it was completely different to mine. There are times that we're in the kitchen, and she tells me, wash the dishes. But there's one of our children, one of our children doing nothing. <laughs> Guess what I do? Wait, I know how to wash the dishes already. In fact, I do it often when nobody is there. And not because I hide, it's because they have to get done and nobody's there to do them. So I say, you do them. But mom told you, and I'm telling you. <laughs> That's the chain of command. <laughs> Why do I tell my child to do the dishes when I was told to do the dishes? Because three people need to learn a lesson. Yeah, three people. First, my child. He needs to learn that he has to be part of the cooperation and the tasks and the responsibilities of the home. He used the dish. He didn't cook the food. He didn't work for the food. He didn't pay for the electricity to keep the food in the refrigerator. Are you with me? The least that you can do, buddy, is wash the dishes. <laughs> the second person who needs to learn something is the boss. That's why I'm walking very careful. This is the center of the church. I'm staying on this side. 
She needs to learn, like many of us, that our children, when they don't do their part, they will expect their part to be done for them all the time. The other person who needs to learn a lesson is the other children. Now, so, the first balance, the first balance, you were still waiting for me to tell you what I learned. Uh, oh, my goodness. You get to know me. Don't worry about it. It's been five months only. The first balance is between roots and... That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. The second balance that we need to have in our arrows is between love and limits. John 13, 34 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now, we all understand this. To love one another is not a suggestion. It is a commandment. Well, but in the family, we love each other. Well, let's see. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says, Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not, it does not boast. It is not proud. Do we still love each other? Okay. There are two sides of love. Two sides of love all the time. One side is that people love me. That's one side. The other side is how I love people. Two sides of love. There is no place in society better to show both sides than in the family. God is a balanced God. God is a balanced God. He is a God of balance. He's a God of balance. And I'm going to give you an example of how things get unbalanced. Just put an example of the Christian church. Notice that I didn't say the Adventist church. I said just the Christian church because it goes everywhere. On one side, if you are more relaxed, less uptight. I'm just using that language to understand that part. That group of people are called liberals. On the other side, if you are more structured, more guided by tradition and forms, you are called legalistic. Both, both sides are extremes. Oftentimes, we think that we ought to be people is always on one side or the other. If you are not this, you are this. If you are not this, you are this. If you're breathing for a second, pay attention to this. Extremes are created by the devil. Jesus is always in the middle. 
I thought more than three people were awake. Extremes are created by the devil. Jesus is always in the middle. Now, the same thing happens in the family. Either we love, 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 and anything goes, or we are so strict that everything we know is limits. We grew up in families on one side or the other, where everything was limits or everything was just love and fun. Streams are created by the devil. Jesus is always in the middle. Now, as parents, as parents, we love our children. I tell you, I tell you, the, I, I remember vividly the day that I became a parent. See, for nine months we were waiting. And back then, we didn't have the, the, the 3D ultrasound that now they have when you actually see the face of the baby. You, you know what I'm talking about? Back then, we just had a black and white picture of a bean inside a bag. And that's the baby. If you say so. All right. But you know, you, you, you wait you anticipate. You, you have all kinds of emotions as you wait. But nothing, nothing compares to the moment when that baby is born. The time when the doctor tells you, here's your son. And puts him in your arms. Let me tell you. Before that, I, I didn't love the child. I didn't know him. But the moment that the baby was placed in my arms, love that came out of nowhere came at that particular moment. And I knew at that time when I felt him in my arms that I was ready to give my life for him. Because I loved him. As parents... We love our children. And when somebody else tries to touch my child, they better have the helmet and the shoulder pads and everything. I can whack them, but not to somebody else. Now, that love, when it's not carefully managed, turns into wrong kind of love. Remember, we're talking about love and limits. What happens when love is not carefully managed and becomes, turns into wrong love? The first thing that happens is that in the heart of the child, the seed of ingratitude is planted. We teach our children right away when they're given something, what do we say? Oh, well, you're well trained. You see? What do we say? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And isn't it nice when somebody else, without you telling your child, he says thank you and somebody else tells you, 
oh, Hapolite is your kid. You're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> hours and hours of training. Is the result of the Pakini boot camp. No? Now, when the wrong love is what is happening in my home, the, the last thing that my child is going to learn to say is thank you. That's the last thing that he's going to say. In fact, I taught my children when they were little that when they came to a place, they had to shake hands with everyone who was there. And it was weird. Because oftentimes they would come to family gatherings, you know, and my family is rather large. Paola's family is not small either. And they would go around and shaking hands. They had no idea who that person was, but they were shaking hands. And then the adults were looking at each other like, there she is. Because my children needed to learn respect. The second thing that happens with wrong love is entitlement. Entitlement. I'm going to open my heart right now. Because I know that this is what happens in this time and culture in which we live. When I was a kid, since I was little, I was involved in the sports and competitions. And I remember... That I went back home after tournaments empty-handed. But at home, I have trophies. I have trophies. Soccer, volleyball, swimming, even canvassing. And those trophies, I have them at home because I actually won. First place, second place, third place. And you can see them, different sizes. My kids have more trophies. They had more trophies when they were seven than I had gathered in 40 years. Because they were part of the team. They were expected to get a trophy because they were wearing the uniform. No sweat required, no scrapes, just being part of the team. Are you with me? You're adults. You know that life is not like that at all. Life does not give you participation medals. Why are we teaching our children something unreal? All we're doing. That's why I said I'm opening my heart. Because I see, I see, the, I see the fruits now. It's entitlement. I deserve it. I exist. I deserve it. And that is the wrong kind 
We are not equipping them for life. The opposite. We're taking life away from them. There's no fight anymore. There's no dreams. There's no struggle. Because I exist. It's already mine. Until you get rejected from your first job interview. I just heard of a, of a girl who went to Princeton University, graduated summa cum laude, and she was not a, given the job when she applied the first time. And she wanted to sue the university because she didn't get the job. I'm like, maybe if you were not that entitled as you think you are, you would realize that you need to change your attitude. So see, we have to learn as parents to teach our children the, the balance between love and limits. Because that is equipping them for success. I know I'm going to get emails, but the third balance that we need to learn is the balance between correcting and condemning. Now, let me tell you something. This, this is for me. Everything that I will share right now, I had to learn the hard way. Proverbs 15, 18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. As parents, we are experts. We're experts on giving guilt trip to our children. You see, because of what you did, now there's going to be war in North Korea. <laughs> Had you eaten your soup, none of this would have happened. Oh my God. So I want to share with you a few principles on avoiding guilt, but showing, teaching, discipline. The first one, family, the first one is to keep calm. It sounds like a sure that, you know, you're a parent, stay calm kind of thing. But no, stay calm. Trust me, nothing good come, comes from yelling at your children when you're mad. Discipline in anger becomes abusive. Believe me, I know. The second thing that we need to learn is to have a moment to explain your perspective. In fact, Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You know, we all have different perspectives. I know. Parents were never wrong, but our children have their own perspective. We don't lose anything listening to them. Remember a couple of weeks ago that we shared the statistics on how parents and children talk? Remember? Well, you don't remember the title of the thing. Uh, so the reason why we disconnect from our children is not because we don't love them. It's not because we don't want to give them the things that they, that they want. It's because we just don't listen to them. We think that what they have to say doesn't matter. It's not important. What I'm doing is more important. What I'm doing pays the bills. What you have to say doesn't matter. But in reality, it matters so much. Because what we're doing when we listen to them, one, gives them self-esteem. 
Second is loving them. And third, we, we learn that way how to discipline them. Now, as we're sharing our, our points of view, the next thing that we have to, to understand is how to avoid interrupting. I'm good at it, especially males. And, and I'm going to talk about more about this the next time when we talk about the C, which is communication. I'm telling you already. You, you can't miss that one. Because, see, as males, we, we are thinking on the answer before we get all the facts. And, and, oh, no, 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 you're wrong, you're wrong. No, 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 no. So when we do that, we're not helping at all. We're just making everything worse. So avoid interrupting. And the fifth, fifth one is seek solutions. Seek solutions. Romans 14, 19 says, So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual understanding. Let us promote what makes for peace and for mutual understanding. Notice the keyword, no, no, you notice the keyword here? Mutual. Mutual understanding. If you don't remember this text, it's in your calendar for the month. It's right there. That's a text for this month. Let's promote mutual understanding. We are different people coming from different generations in our house, different cultures. In fact, we understand language in different ways. You know that the way our kids communicate is very different than the way we used to communicate when we were in the school their age? Just to begin with, we didn't text when we were their age. If we plan on understanding them, we need to spend more time trying, we as parents, trying to understand them than them trying to understand us. That's what we hear often. You don't understand me, mom. You don't understand me, dad. Because we really don't. And we try to fake it saying, but I'm right. It's time that we learn to promote. What? What our text say? Mutual understanding why do we have to do this because see all these three balances in life create one thing and that is discipline discipline is accumulated by our habits and habits is what we do every single day when we practice this balancing act every single day in our home our home is going to have as a center discipline in all areas Six Ziglar, you've heard of Six Ziglar. Maybe you read some of his books. He was, he was the first, uh, one of the first motivators from a couple of decades ago. And he wrote this, and it's timeless. He says, a child who has not been disciplined with love by his little world, his family, will be disciplined generally without love by the big world. That's when they learn the hard way that you're not given for wearing the shirt. But there is a responsibility that needs to be paid. But don't be afraid. Remember, it's a teleia. It's a step at a time. So my prayer for you today, for your family today, is that we take one step. That today we take one step. One step that will help us to get closer to where God wants us to be. I don't know which side you are, the right, the left, I don't know. But if today you take that one step, 
towards the center, God is already working in your family. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so inadequately prepared for the job that you've given us as parents. Our children, we love them. But oftentimes we don't know what to do with them. We want to teach them about you, but oftentimes as parents we don't model you. We want to guide them on the right path, but as parents oftentimes we're going in a totally different direction. So Father, if we pray today that you become the center of our families. That in whatever extreme we are, that today we can take the first step towards you. And that every day as we seek you, as we worship you, as we model you, as we try to make you part of every area of our families, that we become the family that you want us to be. May our families become that peace of heaven on earth. In Jesus' name we pray.